0: Hello and welcome to episode 83 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the casual spike, focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies in modern and pioneer, for now. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado,
1: it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Stanislav, did you, did you play Magic this week? I did, yeah. So did I. It was a good week. I, it was, there, was some, there was some Magic, there was some camping... There's some 95 degree heat. Yeah, you know, I got to talk about the weather. I'm 40 now every week.
0: Did you play more MTGO or Arena?
1: You know what? I did get back into Arena. I was doing some historic mono red because I had to follow after my mythic role model Stanislav Golovchuk. That was uh um. But I've also been playing a lot more uh, Magic Online. I did a little bit of both. It's been a, it's been a good week.
0: Nice. Also with us back from the Sunshine State. It's the godfather, Dave Harbarker.
2: It was pretty much in the opposite of the Sunshine State. You know that. It was like the overcast state or what? I mean, it rained a couple days, but I was in lake country, friends. Lake boy. Beautiful. Northern Wisconsin. It was fun uh, to be away from people and responsibly <laughs> did, away from people in public tube? places. No. Did you water ski? No, I didn't do anything like that. We just hung out on the beach. Playing a euchre? No, we played a lot of rummy, like gin rummy, with three people.
0: Did you guys know that the last time I went to Northern Wisconsin, I I actually went tubing for the very first time in my life, and I kind of figured it was a Door County staple.
2: Well, I don't have a friend with a boat, and I don't have a boat. You've got a child. You got two. You have two kids. Haven't pulled you. They don't have boats.
0: They're too young to tube as well. Yeah. On this week's episode, we're going to take a look at how and if the ban and unban from last week's BNR affected the modern and pioneer metagames. We've got a few big events to talk about, some light metagame analysis, finally topped off with a healthy portion of what we've been up to in the last week or so in MTGA and MTGO. But first, it's housekeeping. Big thanks this week go to... Bob P. and Dylan P. for increasing their tiers of Patreon support. Thank you so much for your ongoing support of the show and podcast. Really means the world to us, really.
1: Yeah, if you're interested in helping support the show, getting yourself... Access to the super secret Slack server, various bits of swag that we've made. I recently shipped out a bunch of the new pins that we made up, and Dave designed. People seem pretty amped on those.
2: Uh, if you want to get your hands on those, some custom tokens, play mats. Surprisingly, our pins did not lead to any bans for once.
1: Yeah, I was. We really took a chance. We have inverter pins. We have heliad pins. Oh, the one plus one plus seven pin did get banned in Mm Popper, So our Popper listeners, you're not going to be able to use that pin any longer. But But yeah, if you want to check that out, go to our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Down. We
2: appreciate any uh, support you want to throw our way. And if you'd like to help us while you're playing Magic, go ahead and check out manatraders.com. Manatraders.com is the rental service that we use on MTGO to rent the Pioneer and modern decks that we play. And so if you'd like to check them out, sign up, use code the dive down to get 15% off of your first 3 months.
0: Yeah, and as you may or may not know, Mana Traders also has their own tournament series going on right now. And the cool thing about their tournament series is that you don't even have to be a Mana Traders subscriber to participate. But for those of you who are Mana Traders subscribers and those of you who happen to do well in this tournament series, you get more prize support. So it kind of pays to subscribe if you're also a winner. But it's free to play if you're not.
2: Like Stan, a winner.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about that yet.
1: Stan's just been winning big this week. It's a little bit of a tease, but... We're all winning
2: big this week, baby.
0: Yeah, the casino by my house now supports Magic the Gathering, so I've just been spiking the retirees.
2: (laughs) (laughs) The fish? (laughs) That well-known retiree neighborhood in Chicago that you live in.
0: All right, with all that out of the way, let's jump right into the breakdown this week. And rather than talking about a single weekend of tournaments, we decided to take a big-picture look at the last week of MTGO tournaments, including the weekend's challenges, as well as the weekday preliminary events. And we put together some charts, some graphs, some pivot tables to get a sense of what has been winning immediately post-ban And we even had a chance to go a little deeper look at the individual decks to start to piece together maybe what new tech they're using or how they're maybe metagaming toward whatever changes are happening in our favorite formats.
2: So first up, why don't we take a look at Modern, the format where it all started. And as if anybody needed a reminder, last week Arkham's Astrolabe was banned in Modern. And so what we're going to be doing taking a look at the metagame that's evolved since then.
0: Hey, can I jump in really quick? Dave, we missed you last week, even though we loved having Everett on as usual. I don't know if I really heard your reaction to the BNR.
2: Uh, I would say it was very consistent with your reactions as a as a team. I was uh, pretty on board with Astralade being banned. Not like a broken card, but a really annoying card that was just getting to that get probe kind of zone in my mind. And so... That makes sense for it to go, causing like certain deck archetypes in modern to become kind of a big gray blob. So um, I think that's good. And then uh, Pioneer, I kind of screamed in my heart for a while.
1: They scream in your heart. (laughs)
2: And listened to a bunch of people's podcasts where they were screaming not in their hearts.
1: (laughs) See, I I was impressed. We didn't scream. And re-listening to the episode, I was like, man, we
2: were almost too tame. I think we could have had some hotter takes. No, I don't think so. Our language was terse. Yeah. That was as hot as we get on the dive down. There's other people's brands you can go enjoy for for angrier stuff than than what Shane brought. The energy Shane brought last week. Moderately terse energy. Yeah, I mean you're like a Scoville 5000. You're not a Scoville 50,000 with your takes. Okay. That's okay. That's okay. We you we're we are the measured, confident, calm people. Just happy to be here. Just happy to We're just happy to be here. Yeah, exactly. Every week, I'm amazed. We are the we are the the calm voice of of moderate uh, annoyance.
1: Get us back on topic here, Dave.
2: Okay, so we are going to talk about modern. That's where it started. I think it's interesting. Modern actually had a pretty big schedule last week. There were seven non league events that seemed to fire after the ban went into effect. There were five prelims, a challenge, and a super qualifier on. This weekend, that a lot of people had eyeballs on, that was a really cool event to see. I think before we hop into the meta, why don't we talk about what we thought might happen after the ban last week? Like, what, what were the predictions that you guys had with the Astroblade ban?
1: I mean, the primary thing I think, right, was, or one of the primary things at least, was its impact on Kowaddle, right? Because I think Kowaddle is a really powerful card in a lot of ways in these decks, it you know, replaces itself. It's a flash blocker, death toucher, which is a surprisingly good way to invalidate a lot of large creatures that have been really effective in modern for a long time. So you look at things like Death Shadow or Gurmag Angler or Eldrazi creatures, and you're like, they don't really line up well against a Coatle. In addition, though, there's also the color fixing that Astrolabe provided as well. So it potentially could make it more difficult to run things like Archmage's Charm in Greedy Shells. Uh, Dead of Winter also was going to take a hit.
0: Yeah, Shane. I, I mean, I think what you're kind of speaking to is the fact that Coatl in modern in the Astrolabe decks was basically Baleful Strix. Uh, right, it was printed to be kind of like the the more fixed baleful strix, and the reason that's good is because it's just a two mana two for one. A, it replaces itself, and B, it trades with other creatures. And sometimes, if you needed to maybe like carry a sword or just like swing in for a couple points of damage, sure, it does that too. But it, it trades profitably for two mana, more profitably than most two mana cards do.
2: Yeah, worth noting, strix does not have flash, and so in some ways, Coadle was even more scary because you could just drop it, you could bluff it. Can't do that with Baleful Strix. It's a a
1: replaceable removal spell. Yeah. In a lot of ways. And then it also has the power to fly over and plink down opposing Planeswalkers. It just did so much in these snow decks. And, of course, there's other impacts from Astrali's ban, like maybe Urza decks wouldn't be quite as good, or Niv decks that rely on the mana fixing would also have an impact from the loss of the card. I think Also, too, what people were looking for, there were some takes about what might be opened up from the loss of Like Not only would it hurt the popular decks, but what might be more powerful now. And Ponza, of course, was already a deck that was still sticking around just fine and doing quite well. And now the concept was like, well, now maybe mana bases can be attacked more powerfully.
2: Yeah. And so I think most people were anticipating an uptick in Blood Moon just in general, Right, blood moon effects of Ponza, but also maybe Blue Moon goes back to being something that's more aggressively using Moon, things like that. Yeah. And as Everett mentioned last week,
1: Astrolabe really allowed the snow decks to play Field of Ruin even though they were running like three color mana bases. And so people were maybe thinking, well, now is this time for Tron to reappear because they won't be as afraid of the the mana impact. Of course, that's gonna be counterbalanced by the prevalence and popularity of Panza, which is going to play the land hate role now. I think people were still thinking that an Uro mid-rangey type deck would likely still be pretty good. And I think we'll talk about what we saw Uro appear in in our results
0: Yeah, I mean, I was tweeting from the Dive Down account on on ban day, so I feel like there's a written record of what some of my predictions were for the post-ban metagame, but I essentially thought that Stoneforge Mystic was going to get better, because now control decks didn't necessarily have to run Uro to be their best threat. They can also just run that Stoneforge package again. Um, I definitely thought Blood Moon was going to get better. I didn't necessarily anticipate that Blue Moon was going to start main decking Blood Moons again, but... You know, that checks out. I guess I'm not surprised. I think the thing I wasn't expecting for, um, which we're gonna talk about a little bit, is just that Junt maintained its popularity and maybe even got more popular this week.
1: Does Junt's popularity ever actually surprise you? It's just that it's a people just like it. They I think they like the concept of optionality. I think they like the concept of playing the hand disruption and playing the removal spells and just having the options to do what they want and just win the Jund game plans. I'm, I'm never surprised to see it.
0: Yeah, I mean, here's just like a little brief tease. Jund was the most popular deck in in week one of, of post-Band Modern. and But, you know, not by a wide margin, but it was. And I think perhaps what may be happening is when control is not in tier one as Bant Snow had been, and Control being a strategy that can beat up on mid range Jun strategies that does actually create like a little bit of extra space for Jun to maybe pick apart some of the other aggro or mid range players that are trying to you know exploit whatever is happening in the metagame in week one.
2: So let's not tease it anymore, Stan. You did a lot of tables, you did a lot of pivot tables. Why don't you take us through what the the uh, the metagame looked like now? Just as a reminder we looked at events that were non-league events. So these were only tournaments where we could see frequency-based results, right? So these are prelims, challenges, and the super qualifier where we can see people's records, where they placed, but also we can see if there's more than one of the same deck in the the tournament as opposed to uh, with the league where you can't see that.
1: This is kind of like one of our classic and semi-frequent things we're saying like what's the competitive metagame looking like like so it's not just kind of like a mtg goldfish thing where they incorporate leagues and competitive data we're saying like what's appearing in top 32 is what's a appearing in the three two or better list in the prelims and let's get a competitive metagame in terms of both performance and in popularity
0: for sure and what I did was I took the MTG Goldfish data from the postband prelims um, and the top 32s that MTG Goldfish posted from the weekend's events. Um, I put them into a spreadsheet. All the data stands out there. I made some pivot tables. Um, and here's what I've got. Oh, and and I guess I want to add one more thing. I looked at all of the raw data that we have, and then I also looked at what I call the winner's metagame. So I'm going to talk about the raw data, and then I'm going to talk about the decks that only went 5-0, 4-1, or made top eight over the weekend, if that makes sense.
2: Totally makes sense. That's awesome.
0: Just to narrow the perspective a little bit. So um, 31 different decks in Modern, give or take. So there's some minor variations there, you know, like... Mono Red Prowess, Is It Prowess, and I guess Boros Prowess, which is just Mono Red Prowess with Boros Charm. Those all came in as three different decks.
2: And Mardu Luris Aggro, which is basically Rakdos Prowess as well. And just how different are Infect
1: and Tron, really, Stan?
2: <laughs>
0: hey, you're just
1: asking the questions.
2: Uh, one thing I wanted to mention before you look at this table, Stan, is just the grand total number of separate decks that are accounted for in this table are 134 different entries. So every number that Stan gives out if you want to think about it in a percentage the not the denominator is 134.
1: Dave, did you know that you could flip percentage calculations around? Did you know this? This is this is a like so 33% of 6 is the same as 6% of 33.
0: Thanks, Shane. All right. So of these decks, we have four different strategies that had more than 10 copies across the week. In first place with 13 copies was red, black, green, midrange. I, I believe it's a yund? It's a soft J?
1: <laughs> Jund.
0: All right, so yund, 13 copies. But right behind it, Gruel midrange, AK podza with 12, as well as Eldrazi Tron with 12, which... I think you can look at that as three mid-range decks were among the most popular in the metagame.
2: I would have guessed that Etron was at the top of the metagame just from from my experience over the last couple of weeks and um and from watching the challenge over the weekend. So I'm surprised to see Jund at the top, but uh, Etron and Ponza both make a lot of sense for me as far as like what my personal experience looks like recently.
0: Yeah, totally. Like Etron suffered nothing from losing Astrolabe. If anything, maybe they gained something because now a lot of Etron players are no longer running Chalice of the Void, making room for Maze Mind Tome instead. So we'll see whether that sticks. But maybe you know, losing Astrolabe actually helped Etron gain some fresh new technology.
1: Well, and as I mentioned earlier, there's also like the threat of Coadal you know just pinging down like your thought not Seer or something like that where you you know you're attacking these large somewhat expensive creatures into open mana and they just death touch it
2: and you're like well poop yeah so there's your top 3 now there's one more deck in that above 10 entries that Stan mentioned what is it Stan
0: 11 copies of is it blitz i'm sorry is it it's a blue red color pair it, um,
2: blizzard it's
0: yeah, so it's like a, a mono-red prowess deck, but it's a uh, splashing blue for Stormwing Entity. You might like that card, Dave.
2: You should check it out. I have a lot to say about this that maybe we'll talk about later. Yeah, maybe. Man, was this a surprise to me. I had definitely seen over the... You know, I was not playing a ton while I was on vacation, but I played immediately before I left and a, a bunch right after I came back the last couple of days and i definitely noted the deck's increase in popularity but i was not expecting the count of this deck to be quite as high
0: at the time of recording is it blitz is the most popular modern deck according to
1: mtg goldfish
2: another thing that blew my mind this morning when i looked there i was like what did they call this deck red blitz before and now it's is it blitz or wasn't it mono red prowess they still call it mono red blitz on goldfish for i don't know why i hate that they call it blitz it's prowess these are prowess decks
0: I really love that game for N sixty four NFL Blitz.
1: Yeah, it's a classic arcade. I mean, it's it's no NBA Jam, but it does have its own unique feel. It's no Tecmo Bowl,
2: but
0: for sure. Um, some some other very popular decks with nine copies was Goblins. So Bogart, David Harbinger, putting in work. Blue White Control also had nine copies.
1: Blue White Control, like, is who was expecting that to make such a resurgence? Like, Ever
2: was. <laughs> Last week. I mean, wasn't he talking about his shark blade deck?
1: Well, I mean, this is Everett we're talking about, right? Like Everett's always like, yeah, like my 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 cool control deck is going to make a resurgence because control is very good.
2: But guess what? Somebody else took it to second place in the challenge. Yeah, I mean this is good stuff. I mean, it's it's uh people like control, right? Just like they like mid-range. They like it so much that the next deck on the list is Sultai control.
1: Well that's really like our Uro deck now, right? Correct. The Sulti Control. That's that's just Sultai Snow. I mean, I don't know if you guys have a lot to say about this, but I was just like, how is this still doing what it's doing? Like, it has, like, Thought Scour sometimes in place of Astrolabe, but it's like they're running the three blue mana spells, they're, I mean, they have Triumphs, Fetches, and Shocks, and I guess that's enough.
0: They're also doing something slightly different, is they're all playing Wilderness Reclamation and Nexus of Fate.
1: Well, I saw that.
2: A little bit. I did not see that a lot. Bit. I don't think they all are, and maybe our sample size led it to to that. But there are some playing that. But like for example, I watched Gabriel Nassif who, who, over the weekend playing Sultai Control, who did not have that as his closer in in the deck either. Yeah, I think that's the exception, not the rule. Yeah, almost none of the Sultai decks that I played against in the last week have had that. One one had that that I played, but I think I played against it three or four times. Three times. This probably. is looking
1: like the same deck, really, right? It's like you know, ice Fang, quaddles and uros and some jaces and a bunch of removal and counter magic and even dead of winter. I mean, the card that we earlier said people
2: were thinking we probably we would lose some steam. Yeah, I it's not good anymore. I don't think after watching again after watching Nasif stream with it during the challenge or the uh, the super qualifier, it's just like it's a little too restrictive. You're not getting your basics out as much. It's often only minus three, minus three, which is good for some situations, but not good for lots. And I, I don't think that that's going to make it. Uh, maybe that's just a change that's incoming. But I, I do want to ask you all if this deck looks mostly the same, is that a bad thing? Is that an okay thing? I
1: mean, so it's a good thing, right? Like, if, if the idea of a ban like this is clearly not to eliminate the deck. This is not like a Mox Opal if Affinity was 58% win rate. This is, this is designed just to sort of take things down a peg, make things a little bit less free, make things a little bit less consistent. And that's probably where we want to be, right? Is like make, is I think that you typically want decks to continue existing for people who like the play patterns and who like the play style and allow them to keep doing their, their thing.
0: Yeah. I, I also think it's pretty cool that the Fetch Shock mana base that they have to play now, in addition to a bunch of Snow Basics, allows them to splash for black to run Assassin's Trophy and Fatal Push. I think Soul Control is a strategy that people for a long time in Modern have kind of wanted to see it work out. And the printing of Assassin's Trophy felt like it might let lead to that a little bit. And now perhaps we're seeing the early stages of that really coming to fruition.
2: Yeah, I mean this deck was was good the last few weeks already, and was definitely around. Like a lot of people have been advocating it before the Astrolabe ban, and I'm glad that it's still there. There's this pivot going on in that blue green shell with like what color do you want to play with it? You know, do you want to play white? And so the ban lists are farther down here. Last time I talked on the podcast a couple weeks ago, there were a lot of teamer, Uro decks floating around, Team or Snow kind of decks floating around with Ren and Six and Lightning Bolt. And those seem to have completely fallen by the wayside, at least in this particular weekend, they weren't as popular. But I think what's maybe happening is Salt High is emerging as the one that's the, the best one out of that group. Uh, because in most cases, Fatal Push and a uh, removal suite of Fatal Push, Abrupt Decay, and Assassin's Trophy is going to get a lot of work done for you. Okay, so there was one more deck that was above five in your sample of 134 decks. And that was
0: Grixis Death Shadow. We're back. but goody.
1: Is that kind of like where Death Shadow has been for a while? Sort of like tier two-ish, like low tier two-ish, just sort of hanging on, being a player, but not being crazy? It seems like what I remember it being. I think it has some important upgrades in
0: it lately. Um, I've been seeing the decks slow down a little bit by not playing Mutra's Bobble, but playing more interactive and mid rangy spells. Cling to Dust seems to be a main deckable staple now. Um, since it's just like draws you a card, it's relevant in a bunch of matchups these days to just like nab something out of an opponent's graveyard if they target it with their Mystic Sanctuary or if they you know tap out for an Uro on turn three. Royal Scion seems to be, a, like, a one of staple. Sometimes there's extra copies in the sideboard to basically be your extra copies of Team or Battle Rage that can also help you grind a little bit. Uh, and, of course, Drown in the Lock. I think having this versatile counterspell slash removal spell that sometimes maybe if, like, post-board you're taking out your Gurmog Anglers because you're afraid of graveyard hate, you can start pointing your Thought scours at the opponent to feed your Drown in the Lock. It could be some game there.
2: Yeah. I just think it's it's adapted, you know, to the metagame, and now it's ready to come back. There were a number of different Death Shadow decks that popped up in in different ways. There's four color. There was a little bit of John Death Shadow. It looks like there's only one of each of those. So, Death Shadow is out there. I think you're right, Shane. It's kind of always going to be in that playable tier. Very often. Um, I think that also it thrives in a non broken metagame and what we have right now is a non broken metagame you know good players can play well with Death shadow
0: you know one of our patrons says something that i thought was really astute this week we were talking about whether or not krixis shadow was you know a safe deck to buy into whether it would be viable and modern in general maybe in the short to long term uh, and i'm sorry i can't remember exactly who said it but it stuck with me which is like Shadow has kind of earned its place next to Infect, Tron, Jund, etc. as a pillar of the format that can, regardless of the circumstances in a metagame, can always maybe sit at the table. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing now, especially in these week one what, metagames where people are really figuring out what is or isn't the strongest thing in the format. These really powerful pillars that have been doing strong things for years now can, can continue to you know, earn wins for the pilots who know how to play them.
2: Yeah, and I don't want to give anything away, but if you look at the conversion rate of death shadow decks from the general meta into Stan's personal winner, winners meta, it's there's four death shadow decks in the winners meta. So, half of them half of the death shadow decks that made it into our report made it into the winners meta as well. Now, some of that is the pilots, you know, um, the person who came in in the top 8 of the super uh, is super well-known streamer ben jones and he is you know one of the huge you know huge advocate of death shadow and uh took it all the almost all the way to the house so
0: um we can talk about not quite a top 10 but a top 11 decks if we include the decks that put up five copies into our listicle of results uh f- five copies each was mono red blitz Blue Red Storm and Ad Nauseum.
1: So that's sixteen aggressive prowess style decks, then, which would kind of be the number
2: one if we incorporated like archetype styles. Oh, it's not only sixteen. It's there's also two more in the red black zone, and there's a red white one, and so it's really nineteen in my mind. Go fast, yeah, and it shows. In the sense that if you look at the number one played creature in this kind of metagame sample that we have, it's not Uro anymore, it is Monastery Swiftspear. The singer from Nashville herself. Mm Mm-hmm. Mona Swift.
0: Likewise, the most popular card, which appeared 239 times, was Lightning Bolt. Swiftspear appeared 92 times.
2: Yeah. Lightning Bolt was far and away the most played card in this sample of decks. We had a grand total from Goldfish of 1,320 cards that we reported out on, and Lightning Bolt was 239 of those samples, basically. The curve falls off so quickly. Our number one card is 239. Aethergust was the number two card at 112. Monastery Swiftspear was at 92. Opt was at 88. And then from there, it's all down downhill. 70, 60, 50, down to 20 really fast from there. Everybody loves Lightning Bolt right now.
0: Card is good. I've been saying this for a while. <laughs> one mana, three damage, any
1: target. Hello. Still great. See, I just keep putting like healing stuff in my decks and it's just not doing the same thing. Just not doing it.
2: I keep trying to put ancestral recall in my decks and then it's telling me that it's not legal. I don't get it. That's unusual. It's all part of the same cycle.
0: So when we look at this list of 31 decks, it's all pretty familiar. A lot of your staples, you have your scape Shifts, your your Titan decks, humans and Tron, etc. You got classic burn. You even have a vexing devil, Chandra's incinerator styles of burn. Um, the outliers, as I can tell is spirits still missing hardened scales, however, present. And then I'm trying to think of, you know, what else is missing from this list. And I feel like almost everything that we would expect from modern is represented. No dice factory, I guess.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's been a minute for dice factory. And one of the
1: things that surprised me a little bit was the the lack of performance by Greentron. Um, I saw. I, I saw a lot of streamers facing down Greentron decks in the leagues. At least, I think people were testing Greentron and being like, "Can I? Can I play this again? Uh, is is Greentron going to be a deck that can just be successful in an uncertain meta?" And I don't think we have a lot of evidence to show that this is the case.
0: I, I should add. One of the other uh, absences is Ursa. I don't think I saw a single copy of Urza. The card.
2: <laughs> or the deck. Yeah, that is really shocking, actually, because I'm not sure why Astrolabe on its own would be enough to make that happen. But um, maybe it is. I, I don't know if it's just that the... Yeah, I don't know. Usually you see a couple of at least combo Urza, Urza decks popping up in a sample like this, but not this time.
0: Yeah, maybe losing both Opal and Astrolabe was enough to just make it too slow for anyone who tried to play it maybe who knows no one played it stranger things have happened
2: yeah definitely i mean it is a limited sample of seven events so
0: so in terms of the winners metagame this doesn't pull out who won what we can talk about that too if we want but i i, I kind of wanted to get a snapshot of the the decks that did really well so again these are decks that made top eight over the weekend or went at least 4 one during a prelim okay mm-hmm we have thirty-seven different decks here, and the most common among these is blue-white control. Wow!
1: With five copies. Well, we have thirty-seven total decks.
0: Ah, uh, yes. I yeah, thank you.
1: But like, what
2: sixteen different decks? Sixteen or
0: seventeen, give or take.
2: Yeah, who counts? Not me. We count uh though. <laughs> count A. Can, can we have like an Excel digression for a sec? Like, what does that mean? Does it mean anything? It's it's different than count. So it's like count count
1: A is like count the number of times that like. A cert, like a, a term appears, right, Stan? Versus like total, like count is usually a, a, a like similar to a total, correct?
2: Am I, am I, I'm probably spewing something a little bit wrong.
0: You know, I know how to work Excel. I don't know what any of these words mean.
2: You know what I'm, f- I'm feeling coming on here? The longest thread of comments we've ever had on Reddit. It's going to be about this discussion about spreadsheets. I welcome it. Yeah, bring it. Okay, Stan, so these Azorius control decks, do you have a sense of what anything that unifies them or anything that's kind of different about them this time. Like I mentioned uh, earlier, I know that the second place deck in the super qualifier was uh, Everts shark blade deck. Um, I don't think that that showed up in other places necessarily, but I'm um, not sure if there's anything particular interesting about why Azorius control is here now and eschewing Uro and being uh, successful.
0: So although they're not all playing Stoneforges, Shark Typhoon is popping up a lot. Um, For instance, like the 4-1 list from the prelim on July 16th has three copies of Shark Typhoon in there. Mm -hmm. Likewise, I'm seeing a lot of frantic inventories.
2: Yeah. I gotta gotta say something here about frantic inventory. Because I don't know if you remember, that was one of the preview cards that I kind of led the write-up for on our uh, preview episode. For um, M21. And what I have to say to Frantic Inventory is, I'm sorry. <laughs> you better apologize, Dave. I mean, I've faced it down a bunch of times now, and I've definitely noticed over the last couple of weeks that uh, it's popping up more and more in these pure control lists. I didn't think that you would hit it with enough frequency to have it be worth it. But turns out that the way to make it work is to just draw a bunch of cards using it and other card draw to draw more copies of it so that you draw more cards off of it and it actually combos really well as a not- just another option in your deck with Mystic Sanctuary, because it can let you cast the same Frantic Inventory many times, which happened to me when I was playing against a Blue-Red deck the other night, uh, who I think cast the same Frantic Inventory against me three times. Sick. Ban it. Um, the Stoneforge
0: Mystic was not exclusive to Everett's deck. Both of the top eight Blue white control decks from the challenge and the super qualifier had Stoneforge Mystics and Shark Typhoons. Uh, they didn't all have Frantic Inventory though. Neither of them did. So that that may be something that people are still testing. But I've said it before. I'm just going to say it again. Like I think Shark Typhoon has kind of proved itself as a really good threat and way to spend mana at instant speed in control strategies. Whether it's blue white, maybe what even like blue red decks. And beyond, I I think this is just like a great way to hold up interaction. And if you have nothing to use interaction on, you get to draw a card and and put a body down.
1: And it also provides finishing power. Like it's a it's a real finisher. Like Everett was mentioning last week, if you eventually get to it, you can stick one as opposed to cycling it. You logic not for a huge amount. You have a bunch of spells that you're casting uh, towards the end game, and you're getting value off it. So you're going wide, which is something that control decks have never had truly legitimate ways to do
2: going wide with like three threes and four fours instead of one one tokens or something like that yeah it's kind of like what if sphinx's revelation only drew you one card and put a 10 10 into play instead of drew you a bunch of cards And, and gained you some life yeah although it's good at it's good at low i get that's the card i think of when i think about a giant x spell in blue white control you know what i mean and part of me goes like well why 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 wouldn't we just try out Sphinx's Revelation now? And and the reason is because this is much better at lower casting costs than Revelation <laughs> is, in my opinion.
0: You know, also some of these blue-white decks, they're not playing main deck wraths anymore, right? They're going all in on counter magic, really. They they have the path to exiles, of course, but you've got a ton of counter magic, and then like Teferi and Jace, they can help you get a body off the board if you need to. You know, I wonder if like the enchantment side of Shark Typhoon is also a decent spell to tap out for if you have Force of Negation in hand, so that if your opponent tries to do something with the fact that you've spent all of your mana, if you do have Force of Negation up, you could potentially leave behind a 3-3 while also countering whatever your opponent might be doing if they're you know, doing a non-creature spell.
2: Maybe. Something to think about. Yeah. I haven't seen anyone do that yet, but Maybe.
0: Yeah, maybe they're just never casting the enchantment. Okay, moving on to the rest of our winner's meta. In second place with four copies, surprise, surprise, it's Eldrazi Tron.
2: And Eldrazi Tron was the winning deck of the uh, the Super Qualifier, piloted by Tunneling Cat. Uh, she's a well-known streamer, been doing a lot of Eldrazi Tron lately, and also one of the trophy leaders in this season, and I think last season as well. So... This is someone who's put a ton of work into Eldrazi Tron and landed it. So,
0: and they were playing the Chalice of the Void version.
2: No
1: tomes here. I still think it's crazy in a in a world of Blitz style prowess decks being the the most prevalent decks here that Etron would
2: consider not running Chalice of the Void.
1: It, it was actually running both Chalice and Maze Mind Tome.
2: Yeah, the the thing I, we should say is that Maze Mind Tome replaces Mind Stone not not chalice of the void. A lot of the chalice of the void less decks are because some Eldrazi Tron players decided that it was better to just up their threat density. And so they were doing things like putting Wormcoil Engine in the main and stuff like that. And so I th- I think that that's what the trade-off more so is. Agree with Shane though that I mean I think that there was a moment towards the 10 days ago maybe or towards the beginning of last week where prowess was not looking that popular and neither mm-hmm. were a couple of other decks that often Fall to Chalice of the Void, so people were cheating and taking them out a little bit. I don't think you can do that anymore. I, I like Shane said, I don't know why you would play Eldrazi Etron and not play Chalice at this point, especially if Prowess is looking that good. Where all you want to do with, in Prowess is cast one mana spells. So,
0: Dave, after playing a little bit of Prowess, can it even beat Etron?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have to do some contortions. You have to get some threats down early and and stuff like that, but you can absolutely beat it because your spells don't have to resolve in order for prowess to resolve. And so if you can get some damage in early and then keep racing and have them not kill any of your threats, which is totally possible, you can still win.
0: Third most successful deck was Jund. And likewise, it Blitz and Ponza, all three of these put up three copies in our winner's bracket. Yep. Love
1: it. Good decks, more or less, besides Jund, which is a fine deck. Is now a good time to just talk
0: about is it Blitz, actually, and why they're splashing blue, and what Stormwing actually brings to the table?
2: Yeah. Yeah, if we want to talk about it now, I mean, we could, you know, we're just going to use up my content from later about what I've been doing.
1: That's what's but up, I- Dave. Talk about it later. Okay. Don't spoil it. You know, I
2: I don't
0: want to sound disappointed, but I kind of feel like the winner's metagame is just, it's a little plain in that it's all of our usual friends. You know, Goblins feels like the most surprising deck here.
1: You know what's sneakily been around? Like, just like lower tier two, always ready to strike. And that's Infect lately. Like, I think you can't sleep on Infect right now. I don't know exactly why, Um But in fact, has been hanging around. It's no longer
2: like silly to run. It's no longer a a funny thing to show up now and then. I think in fact is not good right now. If there is this much prowess floating around, in fact, is I think it's super bad against prowess because I have infinity ways to deal one one damage to a creature for free or two times with a card or things like that. So I think it's, it's pretty, it feels pretty rough to me in that, in that metagame. And prowess does tend to just like take it out.
1: I, I don't think this is the kind of deck. I don't think people can bring infect and hope to cheese out as many wins as they can with like a prowess deck, right? Like I, I could take a prowess deck to a tournament and day two with it potentially. You know what I mean? If I'm running well, if I'm I'm not saying like anyone can, I'm not saying like Shane, you know, the, the joker is going to uh, just on a, automatically day two a deck like day two with that deck right but i think in fact is a type of deck that has enough sheer power that in a pilot who's sequencing well and knows how to use all these protection effects and growth effects and things like that could likely outplay a more average like red prowess player and they would have to if they're going to win in this meta but I'm not. I'm not. I'm. I'm not, in in the hands of a of a certain player. I think
2: you'd be better off doing Red Prowess than Infect. Yes. I also think that with Jund this much around, like Fatal Push is not great to see on the as the Infect player. I know.
1: You know what I mean. So it's, I'm not. I'm not saying take Infect, Dave. Okay. I, hmm, okay.
2: <laughs> what were you saying then? I'm saying that Infect is around and you should be aware of it. You should definitely be aware that it can kill you on like turn two if you're not careful.
0: Dave, I want to talk really quick about this hypothetical prowess infect matchup, because I actually think it's a very nuanced matchup, since on the one hand, you know, prowess has 24 spells that deal exactly one damage, but infect has just as many spells that get you out of gutshot range, plus spellskite.
2: Yeah, but here's the thing is that the it all comes down to the first couple of turns, and prowess can cast extra spells in the first couple of turns, that, in, and infect can't do that. You know, what I mean, like, in fact, isn't really running. Uh, now, tell me if I'm wrong. I don't believe that in fact is running uh, uh, mutagenic growth, for example. Right. Sure is. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah, I'm looking at I'm looking at a list now. <laughs> I think the main deck spellskites are a thing. Stand their back. Yeah. yeah. Like modern in fact is definitely saying, like, I'm going to run spell skite, It's going to save my bacon. Yeah. But even like any any one of your in fact creatures, I can immediately point like lava dart. I can point a lava dart at it. You can tr- you can try to play the the pump spell. The pump spell wears off, and then on your turn, I just lava dart it again. You know what? I- or I gut shot it, and then I lava dart it. Like it's it's. This is the type of thing that I feel like is just kind of like when there's 20 decks out of 130, I wouldn't want to be playing. In fact, yeah, you're asking for trouble. You're asking to dodge some matchups. Yeah.
0: I, I think the the killer in this matchup is Soulscar Mage because, the, sure, you can spend your mutagenic growth to get out of Lava Dart range, but that Lava Dart is just going to get you.
2: I didn't make, need to make, make such a multi-minute digression on Infect. Yeah, why don't you join us for our Infect podcast sometime? I mean, Infect is a, is a fine deck, but I, I'm just saying that particular matchup would make me really worried right now with how prevalent it, it, it is
0: that wraps up this week's episode of the groundswell yeah the groundswell so you know we talked about the top of the modern metagame we do cover another format let's jump over to pioneer unless you guys have anything else you want to say about modern results
1: no sounds good so oath of nissa was unbanned right and people were kind of like maybe we'll see some kethis maybe we'll see some green devotion do something um but the events are actually firing a little bit, so we have some stuff to talk about here, right? So that's good. Has anything changed? And I think it's the same meta. <laughs> we we don't have too much different here.
2: We have Are we surprised by that? No. Like I mean, it's it's not like anybody really thought that something was going to change after this, right?
1: I think the only thing that would have been potentially feasible is Kethys being like a near tier one deck, maybe like a high tier two or something like that. And in our current metagame that we are exploring, we don't see that. There was a single Kethys combo out of 69 decks. So, Also worth
2: noting, our sample here is... A little weird. Is five events, yeah, one challenge and four prelims. And all of the prelims have still have less decks than the modern prelims had in them. So our sample of deck count, raw deck count, is half the size of the one from the modern pivot table that Stan just did.
1: Yeah, a little unfortunate. So we have Demir Inverter with thirteen, Mono Black Aggro with twelve, Mono White Lotus Breach with nine and eight. It's the same stuff. It's almost just like somebody
2: wrote it up that way. Right.
1: Yeah. Like you could, we, we could have likely pre- just predicted this metagame with the red aggro decks slightly behind and the burn decks and the spirits and stuff like that. And then we have a smattering of like two and one ofs of random things. The thing that I think I would take from this immediately is the mono black aggro is now very in vogue instead of vampires. The vampires is only a one of where there are 12. Mono black, kind of the traditional mono black aggro decks. So, vampires was maybe a little bit more popular than even traditional mono black, but now it seems like the the tables have sort of spun around, and we're back to the mono black being just it's just tier one now. And I think there's a couple reasons that mono black aggro is even better than ever perhaps that i am going to get into later when we kind of dive into some interesting nuances and some subtle changes in some of these decks so just
0: really quick you know we touched on how smaller sample size was because of the amount of events that we had to look at one of the things that you know struck out to me stuck out to me in pioneer versus modern is that we also have fewer decks to look at so only 18 different decks give or take with you know some very subtle variations, though the, you know those blurred lines are fewer in Pioneer than they are in Modern. But great song, by the way. Love that song. Eighteen different decks uh, appeared across all of these events. The total deck count is sixty-nine, which is pretty nice. But the actual variety is is significantly smaller. We also have you know most popular cards, but we'll get into that in a
2: minute. Yeah, and there's a clear top four that Shane mentioned a yes. minute ago. Demir inverter, mono black aggro, mono white devotion, lotus breach, and then it falls off to kind of a lower tier of occurrence.
0: Yeah. Th- th- there's like a clear tier one and what I would say is a clear tier two, and then a very big tier three.
1: Yeah.
2: Which is typically
1: something that you might think is okay, but just the percentages here are not really what we want to be seeing. And people are just honestly tired of seeing Demir Inverter at the top. Because it just skews the metagame around it, and you have to be prepared to beat it and prepared to play against it. You know, at least try to hold your own, and that just continues to be an area of frustration for people, I think.
2: Fascinating to me that there is no euro deck in this sample, really. Yeah, a, there's no, there's no simic delirium. Yeah. Anyway, so we were we were starting to talk about mono black aggro because that's the one that's the new one ish, newish one in the top tier or a returning one of the top tier so why why do you think mono black is happening suddenly again you know what's weird is demonic embrace is
1: now a interesting staple uh you know one two i think i might have even seen a few three ofs in some of these lists and Demonic Brace is a new card from Corset 21. It's one black black enchantment. So it sounds expensive, right? It gives a creature plus three plus one and flying. Can also be cast from the graveyard by paying three life and discarding a card. So we know how synergistic discarding cards can be in mono black aggro. It gives you something to do with excess lands. It lets you pitch cards that can then recur from the graveyard like a number of your creatures can. Uh, It amps up your low CMC creatures into some big threats. So you stick this on a Bloodstoke champion. You have a flying five attack creature, and even if it dies, you can recur that enchantment back from the graveyard along with recurring the bloodsoaked champion. So it's just a, a really good way to provide long game and even immediate on, say, turn three, uh, a, a flying attacking power to really get your opponent dead. It can do a little bit like that Smuggler's Copter Impression, which I think is pretty valuable. It's nowhere near the same card, of course, but it does a lot of the things that you would want it to do just with the synergistic
2: aspects there. Yeah. I mean, I think it's one of those things too, where it's more flying in the deck that didn't have like a ton of flying before. And it's recurring flying. I mean, there was Rankle and there was spawn of mayhem. So it had access to that, but it's to me, it's just a reminder that flying is the best keyword and it's always nice to be able to just go over your opponents.
1: And speaking of flying, and going over your opponent's spawn of mayhem is also making a comeback in these decks. Um, and that was something that we saw become more popular back when mono black aggro was like the tier one deck to beat because it's the rankle stopper. It's like the mirror breaker. So you play this, it's the four, four flyer that's stopping the three, three flyer and rankle. Um, and also interestingly, when you're getting your two power creatures, Uh, up to five power with demonic embrace you're also able then to stop the opposing spawn of mayhems you're able to stop the opposing rankles so there's a lot of kind of leveling even in the mono black aggro deck
0: yeah the thing that i love about embrace you know when i first read it 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 was templated almost like a force card, you know, one of the force cycles in modern or force of will or whatever. But the fact that you're actually discarding a card to bring back demonic embrace in a deck full of like scrap heap scroungers and dread wanderers, you don't actually, you know, necessarily two for one yourself nearly as often as you would otherwise, unless perhaps opponents playing like instant speed graveyard hate and they cling to dust you.
1: Yeah, it's good. Do you want to talk about the winning metagame right now or do you want me to kind of go into some interesting changes I noticed?
0: let's you know we have this tier 1 can, can we talk really quick about what's tier 2 and the big tier 3 and and maybe some absences sure
1: it's interesting there's there's still the the split between mono red aggro and burn and i think that's a fair split On goldfish's part, because you know burn is lower to the ground, it plays more burn spell, and and mono red aggro is more sort of creature based and creature synergy based, and sometimes can go into a more of a mid range construction. And I think it's fair to split those two out, but there's still that's kind of the the deck that's trying to be aggressive enough to get under some of the combo decks and also probably take out like Mono White Devotion if you're plinking plinking off those white creatures. You're not allowing Heliod to get on. You also have Burn to take care of things like Walking Ballista, so
2: that's valuable. The big difference between these two decks, just to like level set a little bit, Burn is Boros, ostensibly, right? It runs Boros Charm because... That is, it's good to deal four damage at instant speed. The mono red aggro list for the plays, the prowess creatures, it plays Monastery swift Premier and soulscar Mage where, oh, they both do. I'm sorry. I was just looking at it. The, the main thing is that the mono red aggro deck tops out at, at Torben and the burn deck of course does not because it's all lower stuff and some of the lists in burn still run Lurus as well as a companion to be able to bring stuff back. Yeah, because you have your creatures sort of frequently have either haste or ETBs. But in a funny way, those first four decks are like the good black cards, the good blue cards, the good white cards, and some of the good green cards. And then the next tier is like, hey, there's all these red cards that are also pretty good that are in Pioneer. Here's the decks that that those go into. Azoria Spirits...
1: It's making a little bit of a comeback. It's it's still solidly tier two-ish. I think one of the reasons for that is the lofty denial that we've been talking about. It's just a straight up play set. Oh, yeah. All the all the time now, right? In in two of the four, and also in two of the four of these decks in the results, we see Watcher of the Spheres finally making some appearances. That's that blue white 2 2 flying bird wizard. So it's not a spirit. But it makes creatures with flying cost one generic less to cast, and then it gets a little 1-1 boost for the turn every time a creature with flying ETBs. So it's synergistic, and we talked about how it might have synergy with the deck, and I think people are experimenting with it.
2: Yeah, and don't forget, a lot of these decks are running Shacklegeist as well as an additional way to tap down your opponent's board once things really get going. So, there is some cool new stuff going on in Azorius Spirits. I, almost, I also noticed that a number of these decks are running a really weird card called Beacon Apparition, yeah. which is a one mana instant main deck graveyard hates that puts a 1/1 one, one spirit token into play. So, guessing that's some kind of like anti-euro tech or or other things. There's just a lot of a lot of cards that it's useful against.
0: Yeah, I'm loving this Azorius Spirit list and I feel like the only thing I can really infer from the fact that Bant Spirits is absent, but Azoria Spirits is present with several copies, is that having those four extra copies of what is very often Counter Spell is so much more important than whatever Coco is providing.
2: Yeah, they must just be better than against Inverter, right?
0: Yeah, totally. And and I feel like I said this a couple of weeks ago, where it's like the way to beat Inverter is you kind of need two Counter Spells, and now they have eight between your Lofty Denials and, their, and the Spell Quellers. And then you also have like some aggressive game plans with Rally of Wings, if that's your jam as well. That's a big pump spell.
1: Oh, yeah. And then kind of lagging behind that is the other stuff, right? And that can be stuff from, we did see a couple of green Devotion decks that I want to talk about. Niv to Light is making a little bit of an appearance here. Just random decks that, you know, one, I know one thing you wanted to talk about later is this Uh, cycling deck dave sort of cycling control uh we do see a winota deck we do see that mono black vampires we do see our singleton kethys combo Uh, even stuff like Burrows feather esper control and golgari stompy still showing up as as one of so we we want pioneer to be the play what you like format but in terms of competitive viability, I don't think we're quite there yet. Or people are bringing what they consider to be the best decks and trying to out meta each other with some uh, tweaks and, and tech in those lists. Yeah, I was
2: just going to ask since you just brought it up, <laughs> is that what you want Pioneer to be? Do you want Pioneer to be the play what you want format? Because here's what I kind of want it to be I want it to be a, a format where creature combat is good. Yes. Like that's kind of the thing that I'm interested in. Yeah,
1: that's kind of what I think people liked. Many people seem to like about Pioneer is that it's, board, it's very to the board, right? And it's about thinking about your combat. You know, the humans players of the world probably really liked Pioneer. That's probably why I like Pioneers. I like playing to the board. And I like thinking about how to generate a good board, take advantage of that, you know, make, make cool attacks, bluff, things like that. And I would agree, Dave, which is that was kind of Pioneer's identity, early on right is it's 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 battlefield based and now it's not yeah now it's, i mean it, it is if, if you're mono black aggro
0: it's a very healthy format with a lot of diversity in the metagame
1: and there are clearly many interesting decks that are
2: just ready to take over the demir inverter meta yeah i i will say we should keep in mind that like standard and i've said this before this is not justification for pioneers right now but standard often only has a handful of decks and Modern often has a lot of decks. And so the fact that, that Pioneer is sort of something in between, I don't think should be too surprising to us. It's just that the decks that have settled on the top of this particular metagame in a non-rotating format are not fun, not incentivizing to want to play against. And there's not enough churn going on. Like, the thing that happens with Modern is that Modern turns, right? The wheel turns and a different type. Like, one thing that wasn't anywhere really in the results this week is Titan in Modern. There's like no Titan decks. That's not going to last forever. It's not like Titan's bad suddenly. It's going to be bad for six months. Something's going to happen. The wheel's going to turn, and the next, a different deck's going to be on top of the meta. It's not happening in Pioneer, really. And... Good standards, well-designed standards in the past, have also been heavy churn. Well, it's a lot harder to do in a standard metagame, though, and I, I think that it's sort of unreasonable to ask that of WotC with standard cards, with the standard size uh, pool, to have that always happen, but in an eternal format, we need it. It's not happening, and there are a lot of sweet cards that people want to play that are people are trying to play anyway. It's not happening. So uh, please reconsider the things that you have done recently, Watsy,
0: Or don't. So I do want to point out a couple cool decks in uh, this overall snapshot. So one is our Naya Winota friend. There's some new tech that has been popping up a lot in, in Pioneer Winota. I've been seeing a lot of Tithe Takers, which is one in a white human soldier. So this is an other, another card to get off of your Winota trigger, or you can just play it on curve, uh, which is, you know, during your... Turn spells your opponent's cast cost one more to cast, and the abilities cost one more to activate. It also has afterlife one. I'm also seeing P and Karen pop up, which I think is really cool. Another great human to catch off your Winota triggers that leaves several bodies behind. Um, they're they're not playing that that white five color commander king. Kenra, Kenra, thank you. Um, so I, I, you know, when we did our Naya dive. I was really positive about this deck, and I was really, like, impressed by how quickly it can achieve kills in Pioneer. Apparently not quick enough to hang with the top dogs yet, but I do love to see that there's, like, some internal churn within some of these strategies. It's even playing Garruk's David Harbinger, which is a M21 card, one green green for a beast that's got hexproof from black. Mm Mm-hmm. That has a bunch of text I'm not going to read. The other card I want to call out, um, just because I don't think we've really talked about it yet, but it's been popping up a lot, which is this Rakdos Unearth-style deck. Yeah. And I don't know why, this is entirely conjecture, but when WotC said, like, we're seeing new interesting decks pop up that can, like potentially have positive win rates against the, the combo strategies. I kind of wondered whether this mid-rangey Black Red and Earth deck could do it, because it has the Thoughtseize, it has a bunch of removal, it has main deck, Planeswalker Hate with Dread Boar, but it also has like this Luris package with Archfiend's Vessel and Stitcher Supplier and Kroxa and Young Pyromancers.
2: Yeah, we should mention this deck piloted in our sample by Phil Helmuth, who's a well-known streamer. Um quite often places and challenges. And so it's it's a player who I respect like their deck selection and definitely makes me go, huh, so they believe in this kind of thing. It feels a lot like a Mardu Pyromancer to me in some ways. I haven't played it, but when I look at the cards, I'm like, is it that same kind of zone where you're like, you get to go a little wide if you want to, you get to have a, a big resilient threat in Kroxa if you want to. There's this fun kind of combo with a bunch of the cards in the deck with Claim to Fame as well where it's like oh you can bring cards back with that you can bring back an archfiend's vessel and give your five five guy haste i think with it potentially maybe not maybe that's not the way that the triggers work out yeah i think you can't do it yeah with after think so yeah
1: it's also running the best card
2: from Corset 2021 which is village rights so i mean i i did want to bring it up because it's running it's running the village rights card and it's like it's just a bunch of stuff in here that draws cards and grinds and it's definitely uh, piqued my interest a couple of times now.
0: It almost looks like a modern deck, is the thing. Like, if it had unearth, this would just be a modern deck instead of Call of the Death Dweller.
2: Yeah, exactly. Wow, what a difference between those two cards, right?
0: Yeah, so I, I think there's something interesting here. I, I might try to play it and talk about it on a future up.
2: Yeah, and the last deck that I wanted to talk about really quickly that I thought was sweet, Shane mentioned it earlier, Blue-White Cycling Control piloted by awesome maxi one in the pioneer challenge it only went three and three three but it's basically a take all the control cards that have cycling in a deck with drake haven and abandoned sarcophagus as payoffs which abandoned sarcophagus lets you cast cards with cycling on them from your graveyard as normal and then if a card has cycling that would be put in your graveyard from anywhere and it wasn't cycled, exile it instead. So it, you can do this kind of like cycle it to draw a card, get it in your graveyard, and then replay it for full value out of the graveyard whenever you want to kind of thing, which is pretty sweet. I mean, it seems like it was moderately successful, but this has Shark Typhoon in it, Stan's new favorite card, and uh, it's a Fairy Time Raveler. It's a Fairy Master of Time to help you with some discarding as well. So this is just kind of like a cool, weird iteration on blue-white control.
1: I also want to talk about these Mono Green Devotion decks that we saw come in ninth and twenty fourth in a challenge, and they're built surprisingly differently from one another, and also differently from the deck that I'm going to be talking about a little bit later in the dive down. Um, I I do not know how to know how to pronounce this name, so forgive me. It's like Fenena Th- Um They went four and two in the challenge. They ran. Only four Nissas as the Planeswalkers, but they also had three Great Henge, four Genesis Hydra, and four Lana War Visionaries, as well as uh El- Elvish Visionary. So this is kind of like a cantrip creature, mana dork, even the big mana dork of Lana War Visionary that combines the power of Elvish <laughs> Mystic and Elvish Visionary. Um so that was novel and different. Uh El- Yellow went three and three, and they focus on more of a traditional build, but they also ran Karn the Great Creator. Um, like some of the other recent Green Devotion decks uh have been excluding because they're kind of going back to like can we be classic mono green devotion more or less? And those decks are of course running for Oath of Nyssa. And also Oath of Nyssa is having an impact on five color. Niv mizzet So the Nivtolite decks that showed up twice in our results as well. Those are running a for, full four of Oath of Nyssa. And I'll talk about this later, but I faced down Nivtolite twice in a recent league. Um, and both were using Oath of Nyssa, I thought, to really good results, because you know you're finding needed cards in your deck. It if you really need to, it can fix your mana for the planeswalkers when you might be stuck a little bit. It can be bounced with to Fairy 3 for Really good value. It's a, it's a really good card in the deck. And the deck is something that I think people kind of forgot about and have been overlooking. And uh, I think that this is a really flexible and powerful deck that can go over the top of some of the decks that we're seeing in the meta. And Oath of Nessa is definitely adding some power and consistency back to that deck. You know, I saw some good players playing the deck, so keep an eye on it.
0: I, I wish there was but one in soul deck here. Alas... There is not.
2: Not even one.
0: Not one. You know, looking at this metagame, and if we lived in a a normal society where we were allowed to play at the local game store because there wasn't a pandemic, I wouldn't have anything to play in Pioneer unless I wanted to just like play in Soul out of, you know, love and affection for that deck. Maybe it'll make a comeback. Maybe we'll get some more good artifacts. Okay, that said, winner's metagame. There's actually a couple, what I would say, surprises here. We have 22 decks in total uh, that went five oh four one or top eight. Of those 22, there's 11 different decks, and the most successful among them was mono black aggro, which appeared six times in our winners bracket.
2: Yeah, decks good. It's really good. That's big, though. That's like way better conversion rate than anything in modern had. Yeah, it's quite good. I mean. The the deck is,
1: it's built to prey on the metagame mainly because it can run hand disruption both main deck and sideboard, and I think people they're not sleeping on it. But I think Thoughtseize is such a ridiculously powerful card to be able to run uh, and not really take you off tempo because it's, it's just so cheap and you can sort of fit it in wherever you think like, okay, well, it's, it's turn three, opponent's going to untap, I can cast it now. I can also cast two other one drops while I'm doing so. You don't have to cast a turn one. You can get your aggressive game plan
2: going. Yeah, and uh, as you might expect, once again, Thoughtseize was the most played card in our sample. Uh, I don't think that's any surprise there, followed very closely by Fatal Push.
0: I think we can even say that Thought Seize is just the best card in Pioneer.
2: Yeah, I think so. I thought so for a long time. Still true.
1: It's so good. It's, I, I got Thought Seized a lot um, by Niv-Mizzet decks, by Inverter decks recently in my playtesting. Um, you know, even Thought Erasure type effects. All those cards. There's just a lot of cards that are doing those type of effects. And they are hard to face down. Thought Experiment.
0: Maybe we should ban Thought Seize.
2: You're not the first person to suggest this. I'm not? No. <laughs> Weird. Um, I, I, you know, I said a couple of weeks ago that I feel like it's an important piece of interaction and it is also an important safety valve on the format. And, um, I still feel that way, but, you know,
0: it's just such a double-edged sword where it's like, it's important against the combo decks and inverter, but inverter is just playing it too.
2: Right. And they're all going to do that, like not all, but lots of decks that that are able to are just going to run it as a piece of defense and a piece of offense as well. So I don't know, Stan, you know, maybe maybe that's right.
1: Yeah, I don't know what's I mean, I think I'd like to revisit mono black and. A you know further episode discussion, of course. But what's coming after Mono Black here, Stan? What's like our tier two in our winners meta game, at least?
0: Right. So if Mono Black is tier one because it had the most copies, our tier two, which had three copies, is Mono White Devotion and Demir Inverter. Yep. I, I the reason I was surprised is just because I kind of thought Demir would still be the most successful deck.
1: I mean, when everyone when everyone's coming out to get you, you know what I mean? Like this this is kind of the Oh, Mono Black is really back, and people are really playing Mono Black this past week, and people were tuned against Mono Black while also being tuned against Demir Inverter. So perhaps just the sheer you know, this, the the speed of Lotus Breach, the speed of burn, mono white devotion is teched against Demir Inverter, Mono Black aggro is teched tech against Demir Inverter. When you're up against that kind of hate in the field, I'm not too surprised to not see it overperform in terms of like the top eight. And, and really good record representation, at least. Shane, I got to ask, though, how are, how do
0: you tech against Inverter, though?
1: Well, so what Monoblack's doing a lot is they have not only main deck disruption and main deck speed, but they have a lot of... The sideboard is heavily teched against it, right? Like, they have a lot of the sort of surgical style effects where they're like, you know, I'm going to name a card and get it out of your hand and deck type thing. You know, they have... They frequently are playing things like uh, Brain Maggot... And just effects like that that can try to stymie the Demir Inverter player. I mean, Mono White would not be playing, and Mono White would not be playing things like Gideon's Intervention if there wasn't a Demir Inverter world out there.
0: Right behind Inverter is Mono Red Aggro and Lotus Breach, both of which had two copies in our winner's bracket. I think we can, like, put these four decks, with the exception of Mono Black Aggro, as kind of, like, the tier 1.5 and above Pleased to see mono red aggro still still putting up work. You know, there there was a point where like chonky red was just not that good anymore.
1: I'm curious if that is something that if Niv to light becomes more powerful, we know that mono red just is just gets steamrolled by Niv to because it goes over the top. Yeah. And so I think it's 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 the kind of stuff where it's like, oh man, if only we didn't have this crazy powerful top end of the format, maybe this would be like our dy- our dynamic metagame that we saw before. Like, you know, in the early stages of the format, we saw certain things creeping up and getting really powerful. And then things were going over the top of them. And it became kind of like what's the biggest, big, mid-range. And now you could then you could try to maybe go under that with like the hardest aggressive decks or maybe with combo decks or things like that. And we just have to sort of infer from really small sample sizes, like what's going on here and like what could be, because we have the the presence of inverter and the decks that are teched against it up at the top.
2: Yeah. And I'm just realizing, you know, earlier I mentioned that Niv to light was that there was no Euro deck. Niv to light is the Euro deck, right? And so it's, it's the mid range deck it's grinding with, with Euro. Um, it'll be interesting to see if these continue to get pop to gain in popularity and just kind of keep trying to tweak from where they are right now. Cause, yeah, Oath does help a deck like this quite a bit. The
0: rest of the iceberg, we got we got Dave's Niv, we got Stompy, Esper Control, Burn, Boros Feather, and Azorius Spirits.
1: It's interesting that Stompy has not really made a comeback because I remember reading takes from better players than myself about how Golgari does have the tools, or potentially seems like it has the tools, to go up against some of the big players in the meta. Because it can still run Thoughtseize, it can run Fatal Push, it can run Removal, and really big creatures to do a really nice clock, and maybe just Mono Black is just more consistent at doing what it's doing. It has, it can go wider. It can now has the flying enchantment. So there's probably a number of reasons why you would choose to do Mono Black aggro over a Golgari Stompy. but it's it's just one of those things that fell off and never was picked back up.
0: All right, that is our very long hour and a half breakdown. We're going to take a very, very quick break. It's Technically, it's as long or short as our usual breaks are, but we're going to put in the buffer music. And when we come back, we're just going to check in on some of the testing that we've been doing most recently. Maybe it's an unofficial Sleeve Believe Heave. Who knows? Maybe we'll talk about historic. Anything can happen. So stay with us. <laughs> And we're back. So, Dave, you've been on vacation, but you could not wait to come back and shuffle some cards.
2: It's true. Digitally. And Shane too was on vacation and then came back and shuffled some cards. Shane
0: returned home early from vacation because of how much he wanted to shuffle those cards.
1: I- I'm also I wanted to see my cats.
2: They're so fluffy. Mm. That's fair. But Stan, you've also been shuffling a lot of cards.
0: I I think I did seven days of shuffling.
2: And I kind of want to hear your journey first, because I think you've, you've done some interesting stuff and it includes one topic that we kind of glossed over in the, in the modern breakdown.
0: Yeah. So thank you, Dave, for giving me this platform. I, I think the topic you're referring to that we glossed over is the mana traders qualifiers
2: that and one specific deck that you played in the mana traders one extremely hyped deck from twitter over the weekend
0: yeah it was hyped up on friday i jumped right on it as soon as we found out what it was because people were doing the thing that was like they're posting their screenshots of their trophies and they're like i got the secret deck i'm gonna spike the challenge and then a couple hours later they revealed what the secret was
2: yeah so you've been playing the mana traders event a lot though
0: Yeah. And look, for people who are not familiar, the way the Mana Traders event works is you have this this free qualifying period where you have to meet a certain minimum match win percentage within a certain amount of games played. And then if you meet that minimum, you qualify for a Swiss. And then if you do well in the Swiss, you go on to like, I think it's a top eight or something. I don't know. I've never qualified before. And... I'm currently sitting at in 80th place. I have qualified 64% match win percentage across 28 uh, matches played. That's awesome. So I started it playing Ponza just because I felt like that's what I had the strongest grasp on. And, you know, I've kind of been saying, like, if I'm going to take a modern tournament seriously, I'm just going to play Ponza because it's good and I know how to play it. And I was doing pretty well. I was hovering in the high 50s, but I didn't meet the 10 match minimum. And, and again, to just pull the curtain back, like the more games you play, the smaller that match win percentage has to be. And like, if if you do it in ten wins, you have to get like sixty five percent or above,
2: which is seven and three, I think. Right? Is that is that what you have to do?
0: I think that's right. Everett did that? Yama Killer may have done it too, actually.
2: You got to do a four one and a three two, basically,
0: right? And then like from ten to twenty, it's I think uh, sixty, and then. I don't know. It doesn't matter. The point is, I was playing Ponza, I was doing pretty well, but I couldn't quite get that position. So then I decided I was just going to switch to Is It Blitz, which is another deck I know how to play, and I figured I'm going to go fast and be aggressive.
2: And we did play each other a bit a couple of weeks ago, or a week and a half ago, socially distant, played, you know, I piloted Is It Blitz, and Stan was like, you actually like this? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I think it. I like it, and we'll talk about that more in a minute, but Stan gave it a shot too.
0: Right. Did it go for well didn't go well for me in the mana traders. I was like doing okay with Panza and hovering at 57, three losses in a row with Is It Blitz. I'm looking at my record now. It was 1-2-02-02. And I dropped down to 50%. And I was like, never doing that again. So I was going to revert back to Ponza. And then on Friday I had a little bit of free time. And like Twitter was abuzz with this new mono white tokens deck. And I rented it on mana traders. I did a couple practice matches in the tournament practice room just to get a feel for it. And I was like, I think there's something here. <laughs> so so then I went back into the tournament and I went seven one with it to secure my place. After like beating uh Grixis mid range control. I beat Ponza, Prowess. Uh I, I lost to Etron once and then I beat Etron again. So I was like playing real decks basically. And I was just like crushing them with this Mono White Tokens deck.
2: Can you tell us a little bit about the deck? Because I haven't even heard you talk about any of the lines in particular, or what's in it, or any of that kind of stuff. Now, I know that when you say Mono White Tokens, it means Mono White Tokens. It's, <laughs> it's basically <laughs> every card that generates 2 one ones of any type of creature type, or flying or not flying. I know it tops off its curve with a bunch of Spectral Processions. Uh, it's got Gideon, Ally of Zendikar in it. Um, so I, I'd love to hear you talk about a little bit about just like what it was like to play this buzz deck because people were posting insane results on Twitter with it. Yeah,
0: and it, it was funny just because like people were posting insane results, and then there was a lot of level-headed people, I think, including Everett, that were like, "There's no way this is good." Andrew Aaron Bogan tweeted like, "There's no way this is good," <laughs> but results-oriented thinking. Obviously, if I'm winning with it, it's got to be okay. <laughs> so, so, so what the deck is doing. You know, like Dave said, it's just playing a bunch of token makers, and that actually includes four copies of Legion's Landing, but then you've got, like, four Gather the Townsfolk, four Raise the Alarm, Servo Exhibition. Um, Spectral Possession is is kind of like your finisher, and that's the one that makes three Flying Spirits, but it's also pumping up all these tokens by using Intangible Virtue, one and a white creature tokens, you control get plus one, and have Vigilance. Vigilance is very important. Mm -hmm. And... Here's the here's my favorite card in the deck. 4 for Force of Virtue, which is the white force and you can pitch it uh with flash enchantment creatures get plus1
1: one, plus1. One.
2: Shane, remember how you told me that would never be in a deck? Well, yeah.
1: I mean, we so we saw you know, we've mentioned ever a number of times this episode very early on in the Modern Horizons meta. He was doing like some Force of Virtue uh, shenanigans
2: with a Squadron Hawk and whatnot. So. Yeah, surprisingly, this deck is not running the Squadron Hawk trick, which I, I was really shocked to see because it seems so good with with uh, Force of Virtue. But really, this deck just wants to make cast cards that make more than one body at a time and that's it
0: yeah okay so and and like obviously i've been thinking about this deck a lot since i played with it and trying to understand like why people don't like it and the power that i sort of felt with it and here's kind of what my experience boils down to with the backup of all these enchantments that pump your creatures it makes your two mana make two token spells trade up for cards so raise the alarm ends up being this amazing top deck because a it's not making one ones it's making two twos or three threes and your opponents have to point like their bolts and fatal pushes and and removal at them and when they do that they're down a card but you still have a body on the board so i just found that like in effect your token makers were very often two
1: for ones or better but this is like not a new concept we've had we've had black white tokens as like an old always not very great deck in modern since the you know, bygone days, like what's, what's better about this deck that's allowing tokens to suddenly be something that you're considering powerful? I don't know what the black white tokens deck
0: does, except like play Sorin, you know, like, I, I don't know if it has as many static enchantment based pump effects.
1: I mean, that's the, I mean, the whole idea is intangible virtue and, you know, pr- procession and, you know, uh, raise the alarm and things like
2: that. Actually, I don't think it ran raise the alarm. It ran like, uh, lingering souls and whatnot. Yeah. So I think, I think that this deck from my estimation of looking at it versus the old black, I mean, keep in mind the only modern event deck that was ever sold was a black white tokens <laughs> yeah. shell. You know what I mean? It was the pre con that they sold. Um, I think the difference is this deck is set up to be faster, and now, after a couple more years, there's more token generators that are just, here's two or three creatures on a white card, cast it, so you don't need black anymore. This deck, you know, has Force of Virtue, which is a different thing, so you get to be able to play an Anthem for free, essentially, Mm -hmm. even though it's a two-for-one. Right. But you make up that card disadvantage by having tokens that, are having cards that make more than one token. And so it seems possible and Stan picked it up and went seven and one with it, which is, that's a heck of a run, man. That's a, that's a GP day two right there. Seven and one.
0: So here's the thing. The deck is also running Loxodon
2: oh uh, yeah what which is this guy
0: yeah venerator Lockdown on is pretty cool because it's another way to pump your board sometimes for very cheap because he has convoke and every creature used to convoke him gets a plus one plus one counter and i found that to be super important as well i will say i didn't feel like the deck was quote unquote fast like this deck is not threatening turn three turn four kills basically ever because your creatures are too small it, it felt more like a more mid-rangey strategy that just is taking its time to like create a, a board full of ground bodies that just are really hard to fight through and are backed up by Path to Exile in case your opponents have big creatures of their own. And then eventually, you're, I found that more often than not, I'm just winning off of my spectral, spectral processions just mm-hmm. because like three flyers, which are sometimes two twos or three threes, just becomes untenable for people to deal with. Yeah. Gideon is also, you know, fine. Though I would periodically side him out.
2: Yeah. Well, interesting. I mean, I'm glad that it pulled you over the finish line. Are you excited to play in, in the Swiss on Saturday of this week? Or is it Saturday of next week? I think it's, it's Saturday.
0: Right? I really should check. I have no idea. I just wanted to qualify. I didn't yeah. really think about the next step. Uh, of course I'm excited. You know, if I win, I'll maybe I can make some money. Here's my final point about this deck, though. Tournament aside. I feel like the fun thing here... Whether or not this becomes the new tier one, probably not. I think we're just going to have a new staple in our 5-0 dumps. And, you know, in the good old days, we would talk about, like, the decks you can play to bring to FNM, maybe even spike in FNM. And I think this deck plays on an axis that a lot of, like, mid range or other aggro strategies can't really at- interact with profitably. You know, like, K-Command doesn't feel very good against this when you can like instant speed pump your board and like get a card, get, get yourself to zero cards using Force of Virtue. Yeah. So, so the fact that it can like do something strong against people that aren't packing Wraths for all of your tokens or counter spells for your enchantments, like feels like a way to maybe spike an event when people are not prepared. If we were having IQs, I could see this deck like pulling out top eights and SCG IQs, for example.
2: Yeah, are you gonna play it in the Swiss? Or are you gonna go back to Ponza? I'm
0: I'm thinking about it, man. Like if if we're gonna have professional magic players tweeting about how bad this deck is, and I'm gonna have a room full of people that don't <laughs> respect it and are unprepared, I feel like this could just give me a deck advantage because I, although there's like important lines to be cognizant of and knowing how to sideboard is really important. Uh, and recognizing like what you're vulnerable to is obviously key to like winning high level events. I think if people are not coming prepared, or I can dodge like a bunch of control matchups, it might be okay. It's between those two decks, though. Let- let's be
2: real. There you go.
0: I guess the other journey I went on in the last week is I hit mythic and arena.
2: Historic. I guess it's just you. P- you're playing historic.
0: I, yeah, I was just playing historic. Best of yeah. one. That's right. Whether or not you play standard or historic, it all goes to your same thing. And, uh, you know, we've been talking about Historic on the pod. Dave made the brilliant point is that, like, maybe we should start playing Arena just to kind of future-proof us from the day that MTGO goes down. So I was like, why not? I have, like, an old collection from Guilds of Ravnica Standard. So I just played Mono Red all the way to the top. It took me about six days. I hit Mythic. I'll get some some cards and packs and gold, I guess. I, I don't know.
1: I'm still so mad you didn't use a tracker because your win rate had to have been like 70% at least, like with how few games I think you actually had to play in that time period. It's crazy.
2: Stan is very impressive. <laughs> That's all I have to say.
0: It's it's surreal to me. I don't feel like I'm the strongest player on the pod, but I had a, a hot week.
2: Running hot is how
1: you win. So good work, Stan. You
2: got to be lucky and good. Shane, what did you get up to?
1: Well, I was trying to see if Oath of Nyssa was doing anything for mono green devotion and pioneer and also I wanted to see what leagues were looking like again cuz there's that sort of sentiment well, well maybe maybe the leagues are a lot of different decks like maybe the leagues are where we're going to see those those weird decks and my 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 testing in like the tournament practice room was a little bit you know random of course you never know what you're going to get there but man my uh, my league you'll see what my lead was like. Okay. So I rented this Jerry T list that he posted in a recent SCG article. It was kind of generally the mono green list. You might expect it wasn't super tu- tuned, but Jerry's always starting from a pretty good place. So I just was like, okay, let's just, let's just use a Jerry list. There's a lot of ramp, you know, like eight elves, three carry added. And like your payoffs are kind of like the walkers and voracious hydra and walking ballista and Corsair of crew fixes is sort of bridging the gap between early and late game and gives you devotion and whatnot. Right. And I think also if I had played against Mono Black, then Courser would have felt a lot better than it ended up feeling. Um, But we'll get to that. And so I went into a league and I promptly waited seven full minutes for my first round. Uh, This was like 3 p.m. uh, mountain time. And after which waiting, I was then paired with the trophy leader of Pioneer Claudio Uh, And Claudio is on five color Niv. And then my next opponent, Osodon, had four trophies also on five color Niv. And these decks just rolled me. Like, I wasn't even like I had a turn two with three Burning Tree emissaries and still wasn't able to get the job done because if Niv makes like turn five or even turn four sometimes you're just, you're likely dead because they have all the colors of the rainbow. They are casting a bring to light to get their sweeper. They're casting a Niv to get major card advantage and then probably get another bring to light to get a sweeper. Like they're just so flexible. And I did, like I mentioned earlier, I think oath did add some stuff to the, to these decks. It really, I think it does a lot for them for one mana. And, you know I did see like the Teferi shenanigans where they're bouncing the oath and getting good value off that. So following these double NIV losses, I then ran in to inverter three straight games, or three straight matches, right? Including the second pace trophy leader, <laughs> Harry Thirteen.
2: So you played against three of the top four trophy board people?
1: Well, it's um Oso Don had four trophies, which probably puts them in like the top fifteen oh, or okay. something like that. Okay. Um so like, you know, very like, I played against people who are still in these leagues, right? There's like two hundred and fifty people left in these leagues oh man and and i played against some of the better players and they all rolled me right so my 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 wins somehow were against two of these inverter decks and i think they just didn't have it like they just didn't get there and i talked actually talked a lot to um harry 13 a uh, really nice person uh we we ch- I, I know don't open the chat but i was in the mood for some chit chat and i had good conversations with uh claudio and with um harry 13 talking about inverter talking about niv and uh it was it was fine i didn't love playing it's two decks total like the I remember in the 5th match i was talking to you guys and i was like i i think maybe this isn't maybe this isn't inverter and then I was like, maybe this is mono blue devotion. And then, oh, oh no, there's, there's <laughs> a swamp. There's okay. No, it's a swamp. Um, but in terms of like how green was feeling, it didn't seem particularly crazy any longer. There's been so many pieces taken out of that deck where you just don't have the ley line explosiveness any longer. Like, you know, I, I cast a, a fourteen fifteen 15 voracious Hydra, and then just gets fatal pushed. You know what I mean? Like every, all of my stuff, all my payoffs would just disappear with hand disruption because I just faced so much hand disruption from both the Niv decks and the Inverter decks. And I would have faced that in the Mono Black decks too if I'd placed, faced off against those popular decks. So I'm sort of just feeling like I'm just, I get a lot of mana and I have a lot of pips but I have like two mana dorks and a burning tree emissary and I'm hoping to top deck something amazing that wouldn't immediately get removed or have like immediate value on the game, right?
0: So I I don't have your list in front of me at the moment. Do you run that new Garruk's Harbinger?
1: No, No, none of the Devotion decks seem to be running uh, Garruk's Harbinger.
0: I wonder if you can try it.
1: You can try it, sure.
0: You know, protection from black seems really important right now. You know, if we're we're trying to get- Maybe we're in
1: Vine Mare. Go back to that. Yeah, that's good.
0: Yeah, why not? Why not? I I just like that harbinger. Like, a it has hex proof from black, not pro black, but it also can like get you cards. So against something like mono black or against even inverter, because inverter can um, revolt a fatal push, but yeah. it doesn't matter when you've got you know functional pro black that it's just gonna like always swing in, and there's nothing they can do about it.
1: Yeah. I don't disagree with that take, but I think the issue is not necessarily just surviving the removal. It's applying a significant enough clock fast enough that's really going to get the job done versus Wraths or versus the inverter combo. Um, and th- th- what you're saying, Stan, makes me think about the uh, Thean Guyan deck that has Gen- Genesis Hydra, right? And I think that concept seems pretty solid right now. Because it's just it's a big value and it's a cast trigger, so you're getting value off of the Hydra, um, kind of no matter what you're doing, right? And it also gives you just a potential two for one. Doesn't even have to resolve, and doesn't even have to survive to get some kind of value. I'm not really sold yet on like the piles of mana dorks and the cantrippy creatures in this person's deck, but the Great Henge is there to make them a lot bigger, right? So every time you cast one of those two twos for two. Or something like that, or even your mana dorks, they're not as insignificant as they once were. And so I think that's a good way to say I want to get some value out of my long game here. Like I want to get a, I want to get value out of my mana dork, even if it's a one mana two two, it's still something, right? And so that's that's some that's a concept there that I think is good. I think Genesis Hydra might be, might be something to test out more if you're going to keep playing these style of decks. But going back to kind of the original concept of this is like. Oath of Nyssa in Mono Green Devotion just felt like a big who cares like way too often, right? Like I'm, I'm sure it's runnable, but definitely didn't feel like it was adding significant level of powers back into this deck by any means. And it's it's just like it's sort of free. It's, it's something that lets you get to the pieces that you want. And this deck does have a lot of potential air in the mid to late game. So I think it's probably better actually to sort of sandbag this more often than I probably was um, because then you can just say well I have my mana is set up now so now I can get to that walker that I want without putting it into my hand without exposing it to thought so maybe saving it and then saying well I can get to what I want and then play it in the same turn is probably like a smarter move if you don't need the devotion right away but I mean I'm I still really like the style of deck that this plays I'm really missed Karn I think I would really want to go back to a Karn build uh, versus something like that has four Corsair of crucifix, for instance. But then as soon as I do that, I'll probably face like Mono Black or Red. I'd be like, I really wish I had that Corsair.
0: Did you feel like there was room to iterate? Or just because like I kind of hear the feeling that I get every time I try to run out Elves and Modern when a new set comes out. Was it that hopeless? Or do you think there's actually potentially room to metagame against what's going on?
1: The problem, the one problem with this deck, the main problem is that it's really not well insulated against thoughts, these decks, and it's not particularly well insulated against removal decks. So <laughs> it's not a great place to be, right? Where you're like, well, I need my, I really want my mana dorks to survive, which is why you're playing more like things like carry addeds nowadays, because you're like, well, this is hexproof, and it's doing good work for you there. And so you're kind of up against a wall just already by picking the deck. Because you're saying like I need to get to turn four, turn three at the best. Have the threat that I kept in my opener s- stay in my hand that whole time, and then be able to survive through a hero's downfall or through an eliminate or something like that. I mean, this deck is not as exposed to eliminate, of course, because the walkers cost more. But there's just so many pieces that the other decks that are popular right now can prey upon. That it's just like. It has tools, and I think you lose a lot of those tools if you d- don't run Karn. So, I know. I mean, it's just a little bit of experimentation. It's just a league and some testing in the, in the, in the test rooms. But right now, it's, it's not the kind of world where you're like, yeah, you can do whatever you want in the leagues because you're going you're to face inverter because people want to win.
0: Did you try that new M21 card um, sca- scavenging ooze?
1: scavenging ooze it's in the sideboard it's in the sideboard. i did i did win a game versus inverter by uh getting ulamog with my uh vivian arco ranger which is always fun but i think it's i think it's a good amount of summary of that deck because i do want to hear what you've been doing dave because you've been doing a lot of the one a lot of one deck which i love that's like that's good testing this is good data you know i think i'm
2: going infinite with it i think everyone knows what i've been up to yeah i've been going infinite as stan stan just said um You know me, I like to play the most popular deck. I have just been grinding whenever I can with blue-red prowess. I don't even know why. Like, when I started, you know, after I reviewed it on the show, or was doing some kind of iterations on a shell like this on the show and hit on the Spider Space shell that I liked a lot at the end of that whole journey, I just felt like I wasn't done with it. You know, and so ever since then, whenever I've picked up a, a league for modern or whatever, because we didn't have a deck dive to do, I would just register it and take it through a league. And so um, I kept messing around with stuff, but mostly just playing the spider space build that has surgical extraction and crash through and really is just mono red prowess plus uh storming entity and surgical extraction and, um two mutagenic growths in the main main deck, like upping the Phyrexian Mana Spells and just kind of going for it. And, you know, I've been playing a lot. It's been feeling really good. It felt really good against a lot of the different decks in the format, regardless of whether, you know, it loses a lot to Uro decks, but it kind of does well against everything else, especially with all the Surgicals. I've also been keeping an eye on the other Decks that have been emerging as some of the really big kind of moto grinders have been picking up, in, including uh, most notably uh, Tina who is one of the trophy board leaders. And as I've seen 4-1 with this, I don't see, I think I've seen them five zero with it, but uh, their version includes opt-over crash-through, has a couple of sprite dragons in the main, uh, so it has more blue spells Uh, So I've been keeping an eye on it and it seems like, you know, it was just working and I was enjoying playing it. And it was kind of like fitting for where my mind space was for just playing magic right now, which is like, I know how to pilot prowess pretty well. And this has some extra dimensions to prowess that I thought were really cool. And so I was just investigating to see if storming entity was a, a good card or not. And like Stan said, I have kind of been going infinite by the strictest definition of it, which is I've played six leagues with this deck in the last seven days or so. You know, I I took like five days off in the middle of the week, but I did three last weekend. I did three this weekend and uh, I have six, three twos in a row with different builds of this deck. So I'm just taking the play points, putting them back in, firing it back off again and just kind of keep going. And I got to say, you know, I, uh, I've i talked about it in the chat a lot, so I'm sure that people who are in the, the Slack server with me are sick of hearing me say this stuff, but like S- Stormwing Entity a real card, I feel like, now, finally. Like, it's it's real. There's a bunch of reasons for it. I talked about some of these on the, the testing episode, but I, I think it's worth bringing up again because I think you're going to play against this deck if you're in the modern queues right now, and even if you're in some of the tournaments, I think it's going to happen. So I have this deck built in paper. Yes, I played your copy since I do not have it in paper.
0: Yeah. I and I, I was likewise very impressed with Stormwing. And I feel like it it doesn't slow the deck down for a five drop. <laughs> yeah. You know, like that all it's all that's all that Monterey Prowess is doing differently is just like it's playing blue mana to cast this five drop on turn two. Um and it's so good at just setting up kills on turn three or turn four. Or sometimes you can just chain a couple stronglings together and then it's like deal with my 3-3 three, three flying prowess creatures.
2: Yeah. And so I have a couple of different takes on like why I think this card is really, ch- you know, it's changed what this deck can do. Because I do feel like mono red prowess at a certain point in time was like either you kill them on turn three or you grind up to a, um, a Bedlam Reveler on turn five, or you die. And there's not a whole lot of margin for error. And I feel like what happened with Stormwing is that it's actually opened the margin of error in this deck a little bit, where you're not quite as reliant on perfect draws or really specific draws anymore. You can kind of play a game that's a little more adaptable. And you can change even more to the game plan that your opponent is presenting to you with this deck for a couple of number for a couple of reasons, just because of Stormwing. I think. What do you think about that? thought, Stan?
0: I think that's interesting, though. I would need to be told why, since like all of your cards do the same thing. Like,
2: I've, I've got some some reasons why. You ready to hear them?
0: Yeah, sure. And, and and just so like we set the stage, most of your cards are just pinging for one. Right. So sometimes they're doing it for no mana. Or they're like one mana prowess creatures, or they're stormwing entity, right? Or I guess there's metamorphosis and crash through, but that's it. Like,
2: and bedlam Raveler.
0: sure. But it feels like the deck isn't very sophisticated, so I'm, it's interesting to hear you say that it's versatile.
2: Well, here, here's what I think I think that you know, if you've and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago when we had Ryan over turf on to talk about mono red prowess, he was like. The place that this deck has always struggled is that it doesn't have a good two drop, in in mono red. Right? There's never been a card like Kiln Fiend. Some people liked, and you know the Phoenix Plan was awesome for a while. Of course, for this deck, and that was maybe a totally different deck if you think of it that way. I think that essentially what this is is that Stormwing filled a hole of being the best two drop that this deck could have available to it. Right? That that's what the main purpose of the card is now. For it to be a good card as a two-drop, that does not mean that you have to cast it on turn two. I would just like to point that out. And there's a couple other specific reasons that I think Stormwing is very good and change the deck. So I'm just gonna go through this list of bullets that I have here. One is, the number one thing to me about this is, honestly, is that Lightning Bolt, it's the number one card in Modern that we saw in our sample size. And Stormwing is an extra threat that is resilient to Lightning Bolt with a little bit of work out of this deck that it didn't have before, okay? To do that, you have to keep a spell up, or keep a free spell up, or just keep your heads up when you're about to cast Stormwing out there, but because it has three toughness already, it's a little bit resilient to Lightning Bolt, which I think is super helpful. At the same time, you can't kill it with Fatal Push, you can't kill it with Abrupt Decay. Those are gigantic things, especially with a deck like Sultai Control floating around where they have to basically have Dismember to be able to take care of this card. So huge kind of like blind spot for a bunch of decks right now is that they just can't kill Storming Entity. Path is not very popular at the, at the moment, realistically. The second thing is that flying is super important to this deck as an extra dimension because before you had to have a crash through in order to get through get your soulscar mage and your monastery swift through a complicated board right you need to have crash through you need to trample over people do a bunch of spells hope that it's enough to get over the top now you can just fly over the top and this is a creature that has high power on its own when it comes into play not high it's a 3 but it's a lot higher than trying to attack with a bunch of 12s when you don't have any spells to to trigger off prowess so it can be either a decent flying attack Or a very good flying attack with some extra spells thrown on top. Scry is just really good and helps the card have value even if it dies immediately. You know, it adds a little bit of extra ability to groom the cards that you're going to be drawing. Which Bedlam Reveler sort of, you know, Scry 2 is some functional card advantage. Uh, Light at the stage is some card advantage. Bedlam Reveler is some card advantage. This is just another piece that gives you some like ability to have better draws, which the deck ha- lacked a little bit. The final thing is that adding blue to the deck to have a little bit of blue interaction out of the sideboard, I think is very valuable. In particular, you get to run Aethergust, which is huge. And you can also run, you know, I've been running Mystical Dispute. I think that there's a chance that you can probably play, um, you can probably play Ceremonious Re- Rejection out of the side if you want to, if you're really worried about Etron, but it opens up having a little bit more interaction if you need to, where on the other hand, you can be super duper aggro if you want to as well. So uh, look, you know i I've even, after having flying this deck, I've opened my heart to sp- uh, Sprite dragon a little bit again. <laughs> and uh what do you what do you find in there? I mean, it's been okay as a two of in the build that I played with Opt. In it as well. I am worried about the mana in these versions that have more blue spells in them. I think that they're a lot more vulnerable to things like Field of Ruin, and you know because you're not you can't search up a blue source if you're in a bad way. Um, so that's concerning. It's more vulnerable to Blood Moon, of course, but um, you know it's it's good to have a couple extra options. I, I like Crash Through better than Opt, I think, ultimately, when it comes down to it, but I might be able to be swayed the other way. But I think the, the thing is, playing around to keep your threats alive with the Phyrexian mana and Stormwing Entity and things like that added a lot of ability to kind of go into the mid-game with this deck and possibly survive, where you don't have to just, like, win by turn four in order to win. You You can easily play a medium game win on turn 6 or turn 7 and be fine and have it feel like it's still all went to plan. So, you know, I after playing with this for a while, I'm definitely upgrading my grade on this deck from just like a believe to being like a sleeve. I think it's a legit version of prowess at this point. Um I don't know if it's going to be the best one forever, but with lightning bolt being p- predominant in the meta, I think it's a pretty good version of the deck to be out there. I think that if Path to Exile gets better, you're going to like this deck a lot less. But um, <laughs> it is what it is.
0: Do you think it might be just the best Bolt deck right now? Or is that Ponza? Because so, cause I'll say, in our in our very small sample size testing prowess against Ponza, it felt like prowess was favored.
2: Yeah, I don't think it is. For what it's worth, I just think I got lucky playing against you. Well, you know, I had multiple games where I drew multiple Aether Gusts, which is not always easy to do. But um, I think that they run Bolt for very different reasons, and so I think Prowess probably gets the most out of Bolt, where Ponza has to run it because it needs to run some kind of removal, and that's the best removal spell ever, and it can run it, so it does. But Ponza isn't as much looking to bolt people to death, which I'm definitely looking to do in in Prowess. I mean, I think it's a, a real deck. I think it's a good deck. I was shocked to see how many the count was both in our little record and also in goldfishes because i thought that maybe i was just kind of toiling away in sort of like obscurity because i was like ah this card seems cool and it seems to be working and i'm not losing any tickets playing it so i'm just going to keep playing it i mean well you are you are toiling away in obscurity yeah yeah still (laughs) But I'm definitely going to try, you know, I'm still off work as we kind of joked about a little bit earlier at the beginning of the the podcast. And, you know, with some of my free time, I'm going to try to qualify for day two of Mana Traders too. And this is the deck I've been grinding. I'm going to see what happens right now. I'm one and one in the Mana Traders. I haven't had a chance to go back and try some more, but um, you
0: have to do it tomorrow. Like it, the qualifying period ends on the 21st. So today, today may have been your last day or tomorrow's your last day.
2: Oh no, I thought that I had a couple more days. Okay.
0: Maybe it's the 23rd, but I, I you're running out of time, David. Hurry. Tomorrow, just play Magic all day.
2: I mean, I can. I was planning on it.
0: Good, and you should. Okay. Well, that was fun. Thanks guys for playing decks, doing well with some, doing worse with others, all in the name of Science and and Fun Radio. That does wrap up this week's show. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out and if you use apple podcasts please leave us a rating and review if you'd like to submit a question to the podcast or pick our brain on something in modern or pioneer you can tweet us at the dive down all one word or email the dive down at gmail.com if you'd like to support the show you can join our patreon over at patreon.com slash the dive down also, shout out to manatraders.com for sponsoring the Dive Down. You can support us while playing Magic by signing up for Manatraders using promo code Down, all one word, and get 15% off your first three months of renting Magic Online cards. And if you spike the Manatraders tournament series, you'll get more prize money if you are a Manatraders subscriber. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, Get out there and level the meta!